Is there such a thing as a universal church? Matthew 16, verse 18. The Lord is speaking to Peter. And he says, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There are three major views today of the nature of the church of Jesus Christ. That first of all, there is the Roman Catholic view that teaches that the church is universal and visible. The very word Catholic means universal. They believe that there's just one church throughout the whole world. In their way of thinking, no local Catholic congregation is a church, but only a small part of the whole church. According to the Catholic view, the word church cannot be plural because there's just one church. Second, there is the Protestant view that teaches that the church is a universal and invisible entity, and it sees this church as the body of Christ. They love to call it the body of Christ. The Protestants back in the 1500s had a problem with the doctrine of the church. They came out of the Roman Catholic Church, and they recognized that the Catholic Church was almost totally corrupt with false doctrine and sinful practices. And yet, if they admitted that the Catholic Church was so corrupt as to be apostate and false, then they would have to admit that their own Catholic baptisms were invalid. Well, in order to avoid this dilemma, the Protestants came up with a new theory of the nature of the church. They invented what they called the universal invisible church. And this theory says that the true church is made up of all true believers of no matter what denomination. Everybody that professes to be saved is a member of the church. They say that the local church is the visible church and it's made up of both regenerate and unregenerate members. But all true believers, no matter what visible local church they may belong to, are members of the great universal invisible church which they call the body of Christ. Well, this definition allows the Protestants to remain in a local church no matter how corrupt and unscriptural and apostate that church may be or become. Protestants invented the universal invisible theory of the church to offset the Roman Catholic theory of the universal visible church. Well, this brings us to the third view of what the church is, and that is the biblical view, which sees the church as being only a local and visible assembly. The Bible teaches the church is only a local and visible assembly. True Baptists, with God's word, teach a local and visible church, and only a local and visible church. Baptists are not Protestants. You know, in the military, 
They used to make you say, what are you, a Catholic, Protestant, or Jew? And that left all the Baptists out because Baptists are not Protestants. We existed long before Protestantism arose in the 1500s in Europe. And historically, Baptists have not accepted the Protestant view of the church as being universal and invisible. Most so-called evangelicals today accept the universal invisible church theory. Sadly, more and more who call themselves Baptists are doing the same thing. What is the truth? What are the facts of this matter? Is there such a thing as the universal invisible church? Well, the answer can be learned by answering two essential questions about the church. The first, what is a church? The Greek word for church in the New Testament is the word ekklesia, which it's made up of two other words, ek meaning out of, and klesia meaning called ones. So ekklesia means literally, first of all, the first thing involved in it, called out ones. But the word means a lot more than this. Now, the Protestants will stop right there, and they won't tell you the rest of the meaning of that word. The word has inherent within it the thought of an assembly. And that's really the key to the meaning of uh, the biblical meaning of the church. The word ecclesia has in it the thought of an assembly. It means to assemble, to gather together, to congregate. And the thought of an assembly or congregation is always involved in the word ecclesia or church. Upon this rock, I will build my assembly, the Lord Jesus literally says in our text. Look at Acts 14, 27 here. Acts 14, verse 27. <clears throat> this is telling about Paul's report on his missionary journey, the report he made to the church at Antioch that had sent him out. And it says, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, those are key words, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. That was an assembly. And you know, the old Baptists used to talk about this. I don't hear it much anymore. But Baptists believe in a gathered church. We believe in a gathered church. This is the church. Not the building, but the gathering of God's people here. Well, the translators of the King James Version used a Scottish word, uh, kirk, K-I-R-K-E, or church uh, is the English translation of that. They used that word to translate the word ecclesia. That way, everybody can say what they want the word to mean. Ecclesia would better have been translated literally as assembly or congregation. If words mean anything, an assembly is something that assembles. 
That makes sense, doesn't it? An assembly is something that assembles. I have in my possession a copy of the notes of a sermon by the pastor of a Bible church in the Kansas City area. And in this, uh, these notes, this preacher makes the following statement, quote, What does the Bible teach about the church? The Greek word translated church refers to an assembly of people. However, I always start worrying when they stick that word in there. However, as used in the New Testament, it emphasizes people, whether assembled or not. He's off the rails right there. Thus, as a believer, you are the church, unquote. An assembly is a company of people who actually assemble. If something never assembles, it's not an assembly. Well, let's look now at the biblical definition of a church. We've already, been, and we've already seen that the word means a called-out assembly. That's the entire meaning, a called-out assembly. And from considering the rest of the New Testament... We find that a church can be properly defined as an assembly of baptized believers. The New Testament idea of a church is that of a sovereign, independent, local congregation of baptized believers banded together to carry out the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the second essential question that I'm going to ask in seeking to answer the question of the title of this message, how is the word church used in the scriptures? The New Testament uses the word church in three different senses. First, it uses the word in a local sense to refer to a particular congregation or congregations. In this sense, the word refers to a particular local visible assembly. Let's look, for example, at Acts 2.47. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church the assembly daily such as should be saved. Now, clearly, these people were added to the Jerusalem assembly because this was the only church in existence at that time. It was a local and visible assembly. In the New Testament, individual churches are spoken of as being at certain cities. 1 Corinthians 1-2 speaks of the church of God which is at Corinth, that's a local assembly. It also speaks of individual churches as being in certain houses. Colossians 4.15 speaks of the church which was in Nymphus's house. And these were obviously local and visible assemblies. The fact that the term church is often used in the plural in the New Testament also reveals that the church is a local visible assembly. Turn to Acts 16 and verse 5. Acts chapter 16 and verse 5. 
Notice the word is in the plural. And so where the church is, plural, established in the faith and increased in numbers daily. There were now at this time in Acts several churches in existence, and these were real, visible congregations. In Revelation 1-4, John says that he wrote the book of Revelation to the seven churches of Asia. These were seven local visible assemblies at Ephesus, Sardis, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamos, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Each of the seven was an individual independent church defined by location and by membership. The functions given to the churches by the New Testament also require that these churches be local and visible. The major functions given to the assembly are to make disciples, baptize disciples, and then teach those baptized disciples. The church is to function as the pillar and ground of the truth, and it is to exercise discipline over its members. These things can only be functions of a local, visible assembly of believers. The second sense in which the word church is used in the New Testament is in what I like to call an institutional sense. Now, we sometimes speak of the home as an institution. When we say the American home, we don't mean Brother Justice's home. We do not refer to any particular American home. We refer to the American home as an institution. In this usage, the term church does not refer to a concrete or specific assembly. It is rather an abstract mental concept, an idea of the mind. In our text that we've read tonight, the Lord Jesus uses the word church in this abstract institutional sense. He's not speaking of any particular assembly, but of the assembly as an institution, look back at our text at Matthew in Matthew 16 and verse 18. Matthew 16 and verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Lord Jesus says here that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And yet the Jerusalem church that existed at that time is now no longer in existence. Is there a conflict? No, there's not. He wasn't speaking about that local church. He was speaking about the church as an institution. The gates of hell have prevailed against many or most local churches in history and have put them out of existence. Not every church lasts throughout all the ages, but the church in an institutional sense does last throughout the ages. There have been, there are, and there always shall be true churches in the world. Particular American homes disappear, but the home as an institution lives on. 
particular churches disappear from history. But the church as an institution lives on. Christ's church is an abiding institution. Other scriptures that use the word church in this institutional sense include Ephesians 1, 22, and 23. Let's read that. Turn to Ephesians 1, 22, and 23. This scripture tells us that Christ is the head over all things to the assembly, his church as an institution, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him, Christ, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now also look at 1 Timothy 3.15 here. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Paul is speaking to preacher Timothy, as we saw in our message this morning, and he says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So we have the local, visible idea uh, involved in the word church. We also have the church used in an institutional sense. The third sense in which the New Testament uses the church, the word church, is a prospective sense. Now this might also be referred to, and to use a $2 word, as the eschatological sense. You know, eschatology has to do with the last things, things in the future. And so the, the scripture uses the term church in an eschatological sense. Verses where the word is used like this speak of the church in prospect, the church in the future after the Lord Jesus comes back. I hope you're familiar with B.H. Carroll. B.H. Carroll called the church in this sense the glory church. You ever heard that term? The glory church. The glory church is the great, final, and complete gathering or assembly of all of the elect of all the ages. And it's going to be made up of the whole number of the redeemed. This assembly in heaven will be quite different from the assembly here on the earth. The bride is another New Testament description of this eschatological aspect of the church. The glory church is to be the Lamb's bride. The marriage and the marriage supper of the Lamb, of which we read in Revelation 19, will involve the glory church, and it will take place at the end of time. The marriage feast suggests that the saints that have then been glorified and perfected. Now let's read Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9. That tells us about this. This is the marriage and the marriage feast. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white. For the fine linen 
is the righteousness of saints. And he saith to me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now, two scriptures deal with the church in this prospective sense. The first is Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. So please turn to that. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll read verses 22 and 23. This is talking about the church in the future sense. But ye are come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. And here's the phrase, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. That's talking about the glory church in heaven at last. Now, the other scripture, and I'd like you to turn to this also, Ephesians 5, 7, mentions the glory church. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27. Paul is speaking about the church and about Christ here when he says that he, Christ, might present it, the church, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, friends, uh, we had a conversation this afternoon. Uh, Several of us got together and Uh, We had a conversation, and we recognize that the church at this present time is not without spot or wrinkle. The churches are not without spot or wrinkle. We all have our faults. We're still sinners. We're forgiven. We're being sanctified, made less and less like the world, more and more like Christ. But we're not perfect. The church at the present time is not the bride of Christ. The bride is the church in glory, perfect, glorified, and ready to enter into eternal bliss with her Lord. When the glorification of the church is is complete, Christ is going to present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. No church exists like that right now. It's in the future. Now, Who makes up this prospective church, this church in glory? The answer is the redeemed of all time make it up. All the saved of every church and no church will be glorified when Christ returns, including the Old Testament saints. All believers will be included in the glory church, though there will be a distinction among them because of rewards given and works being burned. I believe the 24 elders around the throne in heaven, as mentioned in Revelation 4, speak of this glory church. 24 elders. There were 12 tribes in Israel, and there were 12 apostles in the churches. Thus, this speaks of all of God's people in both the Old and the New Testament ages. Today, 
there are some folks who believe that this bride of Christ will be made up of Baptists only. We talked about some of them in this conversation we had this afternoon. And thus, sometimes they're called Baptist briders. These people teach that the bride or church in glory will be made up of Baptists only and that other Christians who go to heaven will merely be friends of the bridegroom and wedding guests. But as far as I can see, God's word says nothing of any Baptist bride. As far as I can tell, there's not one word of scripture that teaches that some Christians will be included in the glory church and other Christians will be left out. I just can't find it. This glory church does not yet exist. Why? How do we know that? Because it has not yet assembled. Remember the name, the word church means assembly. This glory church doesn't exist because it is not yet assembled. It will only assemble in heaven after all of God's people get there. And even then, the church will not be universal and invisible. It will be assembled in one place and it will be visible to all. It will be the general assembly and church of the firstborn as that verse we read in Hebrews 12, 22 and 23 says. Now we're talking here about how the word church is used in the scriptures. Let's try to sum up what God's word says about this. The New Testament uses the word ecclesia or church particularly, abstractly, and prospectively, locally, institutionally, and future. The Lord Jesus used the word church 26 times in the New Testament. Altogether, the word occurs 115 times in the New Testament. It's used 110 times with a Christian significance. 94 times, the word has reference to a local visible assembly. And so this is the main emphasis of the scripture concerning the church. 94 out of 115 times refers to, uh, to local churches. 14 times the word is used to refer to the church as an institution, like the American home. Twice it is used of the church in glory or the church in prospect. Five times the New Testament uses the word of an assembly other than one made up of baptized believers. In Acts 7, 38, uh, the scripture speaks of the church in the wilderness. Have you come across that scripture? And it's talking about Israel. Stephen is reviewing the history of Israel, and he speaks of a time when Israel was assembled in the wilderness. This was not a church in any sense. In, in, in any of these three senses, in which the New Testament uses the word to describe a body of baptized believers. Hebrews 2.12 speaks of this same assembly of Israel. It was simply a gathering of Israelites at the door of the tabernacle. So all of these amillennial friends of ours that say the church is in the Old Testament, uh, and they use this to prove it, we can see that they're wrong. The word's not used in talking about an assembly of baptized believers in Christ. It was talking about 
all of uh, all the people of Israel gathering at the door of the tabernacle. Acts 19.32 and 19.41 use the word to refer to an assembly of citizens in the theater at Ephesus. There was a, a mob that formed in order to kill the apostle Paul, and the Greek word ekklesia is used to describe this gathering of citizens. It's a gathering. It's an assembly. Uh, This was a local, visible assembly, though it was not a body of baptized believers. Acts 19.39 uses the word to refer to the town council at Ephesus that would be called to deal with city business. And this, too, was a local, visible assembly, but had no reference to a body of baptized believers. Well, this brings us to the question asked in the title of this message. Is there such a thing as a universal church? No, there is no such thing as a universal, invisible church. Now, let's consider Four reasons that this is so. First of all, there's no such thing as a universal invisible church because a universal invisible church cannot assemble. We keep coming back to the word assembly. That's what the word church means. A universal invisible church cannot assemble. The very meaning of the word church requires that it be an assembly of baptized believers in Christ. But it is impossible for a universal, invisible church made up of all believers everywhere to assemble. 1 Corinthians 14.23 speaks of the whole church coming together. That's something quite impossible for a universal, invisible body. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 14.23. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23. Now, this is talking about a local, visible body of believers. Paul says here, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, Will they not say that ye are mad? Talks about the whole church. This was, a, this was one local church, the church at Corinth. Next, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 9. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9. Paul is speaking. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet or worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now, did Paul persecute a church that never assembles? A universal, invisible assembly, did he? No, he persecuted the visible Jerusalem assembly. Read about this in Acts 8.1 if you want to go further into it. Since all of God's people have never yet assembled, there is today no no universal invisible church. Second, there is no universal invisible church because a universal invisible church cannot carry out the functions given by our Lord to his churches. 
Now, this is one of the things that really convinced me about the nature of the church being local only. Whatever is universal, uh, whatever this universal invisible thing is, it has no great commission. It has no functions. It has no ordinances. It has no discipline. It has no officers. It has no meeting place. Thirdly, there's no such thing as a universal invisible church because Jesus Christ never spoke of a universal invisible church. Though he used the word church 21 times, he never spoke of a universal invisible church. He used the word three times to speak of the church as an institution and 18 times to speak of a local visible church. Assembly. Turn to Revelation twenty two sixteen. Revelation twenty two, verse sixteen. This is the final word of the exalted Lord to his churches. These are local, visible assemblies. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Plural. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And fourthly, there's no such thing as a universal invisible church because the New Testament never refers to the church with universal adjectives. The New Testament never describes the church with such terms as universal, invisible, mystical, or Catholic. Baptists do not, do not subscribe to the Apostles' Creed. You know, I was reading about a Reformed Baptist, and that's an oxymoron, and he said that we ought to once again start using the Apostles' Creed. Well, Baptists do not subscribe to the Apostles' Creed because it states, quote, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church the communion of saints, unquote. The term Catholic, as I pointed out earlier, literally means universal. It is not a biblical term. You won't find it in the Bible. One other consideration in answering the questions, is there such a thing as a universal church? The general assembly and church of the firstborn in Hebrews 12, 22, and 23 is not a universal invisible church, even when, uh, even in the end, when it's the general assembly and church of the firstborn, it is not a universal invisible church. Turn to Hebrews twelve twenty two and twenty three again. Hebrews twelve twenty two and twenty three. I want to I want to give you three reasons this is so that the General Assembly is not a universal, invisible church. First of all, it's not the universal church because in the context where it's mentioned, it's located in glory. It's located, in, it's located with the heavenly Jerusalem. It's in a place. It's in a locality. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, 
to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Well, secondly, it is not the universal invisible church because the churches on earth are composed of imperfect, still sinning members. This general assembly, however, is going to be composed of glorified saints, the spirits of just men made perfect, as verse 22 makes clear there, where we just read. The qualification for entrance into the general assembly is glorification or perfection. You know, when Christ comes again, he's going to raise all the believers from the dead, and at that moment they're going to be glorified, made exactly like Jesus Christ in perfection, in holiness. And the qualification for entrance into this general assembly is glorification. And this is a future certainty. It is not a present reality. The church in glory, the bride, will be the glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing as Paul describes it in Ephesians 5.27. The churches in this present age, unfortunately, all have blemishes. Thirdly, the general assembly and church of the firstborn is not the universal invisible church because the general assembly has not yet assembled. We just keep coming back to that word, assembly. The general assembly has not yet assembled. The New Testament knows nothing of a church larger and more inclusive than one that can assemble in one place, not even in glory at last. This general assembly has not yet assembled. Part of its members are now in heaven. Part of them are still here on earth, and many of them are not yet called and, and, and may not, uh, maybe not even born yet. When all the redeemed have been glorified and assembled, the general assembly will then be in existence. The church will be called the general assembly and church of the firstborn, only when it assembles in glory. This has not happened yet. It will happen in the future. Then and only then will this general assembly come into being and thus be a local and visible church. So in conclusion, the idea that there is a great universal invisible church is absolutely without basis in Scripture. Such a thing contradicts the New Testament idea of the church. Let us pray. Our Father, we're thankful for the church of Jesus Christ. We're thankful for this church of Jesus Christ.